0: Uh, it's a day that we celebrate moms who do more than anyone else can imagine, uh, can do in a 24-hour span. I looked at all these lists as I was preparing for this, <clears throat> and there are lists of 42 titles that a mom has, or 52 titles that a mom has, everything from director of operations, nurse, cleaning service, chef, referee, personal assistant, teacher, chauffeur, social media manager, translator, dental hygienist, travel agent, everything. All of these lists of what a mom does and you do it, we do it in a 24 hour uh, span. Yeah, yeah. You nev- you, 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 you're Google for your kids. Your kids never ask Alexa, now where did I leave that report or where are my socks? <laughs> it's mom, yeah. where, where did I leave those things? You're a laundry service. You're a lifeguard. You're a magic maker. You are a pastor for your family. You you wear many, many hats. And yet, if I asked you, how do you feel about how you manage your time? Do you have enough time? This is what I hear women say all the time. I wish I had 48 hours in a day. I just don't have enough time to do things. I feel overwhelmed. I want to run away. I hardly have time to experience intimate times with God. My days just whiz by. I wake up feeling discouraged. I've taken on responsibilities I don't want. I don't know how to start. I don't know how to stop. I don't know where to start. I feel dry. I feel overwhelmed. I feel empty. I feel like I'm missing me but maybe I'm missing God. So most of you have read books on time management and you've listened to podcasts while doing your laundry on how to uh, make good lists and how you've tried so hard, but time just doesn't need to stop. And as Cassie and I uh, uh, spent some time together earlier this winter and talked about what what do we want to talk about for Mother's Day she said, would you talk about time management? And I'm like, on Mother's Day? And she said, well, and so as we talked about it, one of the things she said was, why don't you talk about how Jesus used his time? And I like, on Mother's Day? How Jesus used his time? We, as women, we tend to compare. And I would say this, I am the last person to talk about time management. Any of you who know me know that I'm always late. Time has always been a problem for me. I'm constantly playing catch-up. So much so, when Vinod and I started uh, uh, getting serious about our relationship, the very first gift he bought me was a watch. (laughs) And over the years, he never got me an engagement ring, but I think I have like about six or seven watches. Most of the time, I never wear a watch, except if I want something shiny around my wrist. All right. So I too, over these years, have been on a search of how do I balance things? How do I make time work for us? And there's a great book by a man called Bruce Miller. And in it, he says, when we look at the life of Jesus, because that's what we're going to do this morning, Jesus' life does not have balance. He says, take up your cross, lose your life, Sacrifice and balance don't go well together, right? They don't blend. Jesus in, encourage us, encourages us to be radical, to risk, to live radical lives and not balanced ones. Jesus didn't have a balanced life, but he lived a life of rhythm. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. There, uh, it, you, you see rhythm in everything. For farmers, the rhythm, rhythm is really obvious. There's a season of planting, there's a season of growing, there's a season of harvesting, and then there's the season of resting, right? For uh, business people, you think like, really, do we have seasons? And yes, you do. There's tax season, right? There's the end of the month season where you know uh, numbers have to be met. There's the quarter, um, every quarter you need to meet those uh, deadlines. That's a season, that's a rhythm in your business, right? In all of our lives, there is this underlying sense of rhythm, but we ignore it. Jesus lived his life according to a certain rhythm. And there are four things that are the drumbeat of the rhythm of Jesus' life. And that's what we're going to do, uh, look at today. So will you pray with me, and then we'll uh, launch forward? Lord Jesus, as we spend our time listening to what you have to say for us, Father, we thank you that your words are meant for us and that your life is there as an example, but more than an example, Lord, your life was lived out for us. And so, Father, thank you that you invite us into this space. Thank you that you invite us to listen to your words. And, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be so tuned to you that we would hear exactly what you have for us uh, to hear today. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to spend much of our time this morning on the book of Mark, on the first chapter of Mark. And my hope is that at the end of this time together, you will stop asking, is my life in balance and ask yourself, is my life in rhythm? And you will choose to live by the drum beats of the rhythm of Jesus. And so we look, we're going to look at the first chapter of Mark, but we're going to start from Verse 21. And verse 21 launches this one day in the life of Jesus. All right? Uh, Mark is the shortest gospel in the, uh, that we have, and it's marked by an urgency. As you read the book of Mark, you will, look, you, you will see words like immediately, at once. And Mark has these words often to, to give you the sense of urgency that Jesus had. He had three years. He was going to fit it all in three years. Uh, He, Jesus, at this point in verse 21, had just called Peter and James and Andrew and John, and he had arrived at Peter's house in Capernaum. And so this was the Sabbath, and Jesus Jesus had probably arrived on Friday night at Peter's house. And in the morning, this is what it says, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. A few hours of quiet visiting happened then, and then we get at verse 32 at sundown they brought so at sundown is when the sabbath ended so then the whole town the whole city was gathered together at his door and they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons now Capernaum was a big city and you can imagine the whole city camped out outside of Peter's door And Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This was a day in the life of Jesus. Can you imagine living a day like this? You start off the day preaching and you're casting out demons. And then you go and you just want to take a break and you rest, but the lady of the house is sick. So you heal the lady of the house. And then you've just eaten your lunch and you're just relaxing when the whole city starts camping outside of your door. And there are people needing you all over the place. And Jesus is healing them and touching them. And uh, the, the needs are so immense, the battle is so great. He's fighting Satan and he's casting out demons. You know that story of the woman who touched uh, the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus said, I felt power go out from me, right? Can you imagine how busy and how full that day was? In just 24 hours, I feel exhausted looking at all that Jesus did. How did he do that? You know, it's funny, but as a woman, as men too, you kind of feel like, I wish I could live like that. (laughs) I can do all of these things. But this is how he did it. Mark, as he wrote his biography of Jesus, put this right at the beginning. So in verse 9 of Mark chapter 1, as Mark introduces us to Jesus, he says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well placed. Where did Jesus, how did Jesus live in this rhythm? The first drumbeat that we see of how Jesus lived was the drumbeat of identity. This is the core identity from which Jesus lived his life. He was the beloved of God. God was well-pleased with him, right? And this is the core identity that God wants us to live out of. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. With you, he is well-pleased. You know, I don't know, like when, when you're in school and you do something really good or you get a grade or something like that, and you come home and your parent is pleased with your grade. How does that make you feel? Awesome, right? But what if you didn't have to do anything, but someone tells you, I delight in you, I love you, I am so pleased with you. Just looking at you gives me joy. This is for us the good news. God's so loved. Have you ever stopped to wonder what it means to be so loved? Right? When you're so loved, there's no limits to how much you're loved. I know as a mom, so loving my kids means that I put aside some th- things on my schedule. I don't sleep, maybe. I go for all, uh, for all of their piano recitals. I make sure I am there for them. I, you know, all of those things we saw on the vid- video. That's, um, that's mother love, so loving. Can you think of how much God so loved you? Right? He so loved us even before we turned to him, even before we cared that he existed, even before we came to church or did any of those things we consider good. We are so loved, not just loved, the word that's used over there, with him I am well pleased, mean, is also translated in certain translations as he is the delight of my soul. Right? Because of Jesus, we now become the delight of God's soul. We look at each other and say, I am the delight of God's soul. Right? Isn't that amazing? You are the delight of God's soul because of what Jesus has done. This is the good news. You remember the angels telling the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There you have it. God is pleased with us. He rescued you from death and destruction out of grace, uh, out of his grace, simply because he loved you. He chose you and revealed himself to you when you were still in sin, ungodly, and without hope, simply because he loved you. He turned you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the kingdom of God, from the second death to everlasting life, because his soul delights in you. He granted you forgiveness of sins. He absolved you of condemnation. He breathed into you a a life that will never end. He assured you he would never leave you nor forsake you. He enabled you to call him Abba Father. Why? Why? because he delights in you. You can know with absolute certainty that because Jesus is in you, this is the gospel, God is delighted in you. You can hear him say, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. This is the foundation of our identity. Uh, I, um, my daughter, is uh, you'll see her, she's like now taller than me. But I remember when she was very, very little she uh, 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 uh my boys would tease her because my boys are seven and a half years and five and a half years older than her, and they would tease her all the time they wanted a puppy they got a sister so they <laughs> they would tease her all the time and so you know if I called her any term of endurance like Sweetie pie or cookie or something like that, they would go around like, cookie, sweetie pie, you know, that kind of thing. And so she got really annoyed with all of these labels that we gave her. They were good labels. But she got annoyed with all of them, and she said, I don't want to be called anything. And uh, so my name is Talila. You call me Talila. And so I was really sad because after all these years, I had my little girl, and I I, you know, you have your girl. You call her these names. And, and she was like, "Nope." If I called her sweetie, she was like, "Nope." my name is Talila. And for a, for a week, she went around like this, refusing to answer us unless we called her Talila. So then one day I was sitting on the couch early in the morning and reading my Bible. And she comes with her little blankie wrapped around her. And she comes and puts her head on my lap. And I'm stroking her hair. And I said, how's my little Sweetie Pie doing? And she said, fine. And all of a sudden I realized that she didn't say anything about me calling her Sweetie Pie. So I said, you didn't get upset that I called you Sweetie Pie? And she's like, you can call me whatever you want. (laughs) And I'm like, why? And she said, because I belong to you. And you know, that is how, that's how we live when our identity, the core of our identity is that God loves me. He delights in me. I belong to him. You know, just think of uh, of how it felt for Jesus. It formed the foundation of his rhythm. He knew he was loved. He knew God delighted in him. If you and I lived out of this core identity like Jesus did, Think of what your day would look like. I know for one, all of those things I panic about and get anxious about, those things that I feel like I should have done, I could have done this, oh shoot, you know, I miss that. When I feel frazzled, if, I, if my core identity was that I'm the delight of God, yes. then all of those things fall away, yes. right? Yeah. The, the, the things my kids do or don't do, The turns my life takes, the things that overwhelm me, they don't bother me because I know I am loved. I'm loved by the one who holds even this. When I feel rejected, when I feel set aside, when I feel like I've lost my meaning, I belong to the one who delights in me. My life takes on a different rhythm when you know that you are loved, right? Uh, you'll see my son, uh, my middle son, he just got engaged like two weeks ago. So he's like somewhere on cloud, some, some cloud, way over cloud nine. He's floating. All right. But he's got a very demanding job. He's working hard at the job that he's doing. He's a design engineer in a company that has very tight deadlines. He's, he's working hard at the job. He volunteers at church. He uh, helps out in the college that he w- uh, was in. He does all of these things, and he sits up till midnight with his fiance now. You know, And I wonder, how does he juggle all of those things? Well, he does it because he's in love. Love, love changes the way we live, right? And when you are loved by God... And when you realize and can rest in that love, it changes the things you put into your schedule. It changes the way you look at time. So the first task of the first rhythm is to live like you're loved, because you are. The second beat that Jesus has is that of perspective. And so we come to uh, Mark chapter one, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the ancient Greeks had two words for time. One is chronos and one is kairos. And this little chart tells you about it. Chronos is about quantity. It's measured in minutes. It's finite. You have past, present, future. It's time that we consume. It's sequential, it's a daily reality. And when you think of Kronos, think of a watch, think of a clock, that's what Kronos is. Kairos is about quality. It's measured in moments, it's infinite, it's eternal. It's time that consumes us. It's seasonal, it flows in seasons. Every moment is a spiritual opportunity. And when you think of Kairos, think of a window that you're looking through. Okay, Chronos is, is time that can be measured, and it's time that we created—minutes, seconds, years, hours. Its compartments dominate our lives. It's it's the word from which we get chronological. It goes, you know, one sequence to the next. Uh, Kairos is God time. It measures moments, not seconds. It refers to the right moment. It refers to the fullness of time. It's a perfect moment. God's time has to do with opportunity, fullness, meaning. Moments that are ripe for their intended purpose. And here we see Jesus saying the time is fulfilled. The time is filled full. This is the moment. Jesus looked for the fullness of time, the right time. He lived on Kairos' Kairos time. Okay, so how does this work in our lives? When we see time in light of our faith in the God of history, we see that the events of our lives are not just a series of happy or unhappy events, but part of the shaping hands of God. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're doing, God is shaping you, molding you into his image. Even when life seems busy, frazzled, and we have hard moments, we can sit in those moments believing that God is doing something here. So instead of doing more, we pause and pay attention. All right? We see the events of the day as occasions that God is using to change our hearts. Time points begin uh, beyond itself. We look at our lives not in terms of, What am I going to get on the table for dinner tonight? But in terms of how do I relate to this person in the light of eternity, right? We live our days in anticipation of what God is doing in and through us. So how would it change your daily schedule if that's the way you lived? Would it change the things you put into your time, day? Would an attitude of attention and awareness give you gratitude and help you relax Would the knowing that God loves you, loves your children, and has good plans for them as well, change the things you put into their schedule? Would it change the business of your life? Would it help you to look at the person your child is becoming versus the things that he or she is achieving? Would it help you to look at you as a person that you are becoming versus the things that you are achieving or succeeding at, right? Kairos changes the way we look at time. So be attentive to what season you're in. If, if you're a young mom, be attentive to that season. If you're, a, a, you're an empty nester, be attentive to that season. Be attentive to the personal things that are going on into your, in your life. Are you in a season of grief? Are you in a season of celebration? Are you in a season of stability? Are you in a season of shifting? What is the season that you are in? And then look for what God's doing in the season. Now, Jesus understood Kronos time. You need to understand this because you could say, oh my gosh, that was Jesus. I can't live without my watch, right? Jesus understood Kronos time. Remember, he had only three years of ministry to achieve the task of salvation. Okay, that's a big task to achieve in three years. His life, however, was attentive to what the father was doing. Every moment of his life was attentive to what the father was doing. I remember when I was a young mom, and I, was, I had just given up my job. I, had, I was now staying at home. I had two little boys. I was just so... I felt like I had lost my identity, I had lost myself, all of those things. And I remember, and I felt like my walk with God was also shifting. And I felt like God had taken me and set me aside there and said, stay there. And I felt like there was this dryness in my walk. And I remember calling my father and saying, I don't know what to do. I'm doing all the right things, but I feel so distant. I I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to have my quiet time, and both the boys wake up. At that time, you know, I go to the bathroom thinking that, okay, maybe there I can be quiet and someone will stick their little fingers under the door and say, mommy, you see those fingers? That's me. You know, and I was like, that's why I'm in this place. You know, there was no space. There was no time to be with God. And I remember talking to my dad about it and he said, shantini God knows that you are a mom. He knows the season you are in. This is a season of fall or winter in your life. Few things grow on the outside, but inside, God is working his miracle in your life. He's growing those fruits of patience. He's growing those fruits of hope, teaching me to wait, teaching me to watch for him. All right? So the task of perspective is to be attentive, You know, someone, uh, this was on Pinterest, someone said, I don't want to waste my life ticking off a million frivolous to-dos and not do the one thing I was put here to do. So I constantly check to see if I'm doing what matters. This is what it means to live by kairos, okay? The third drumbeat that Jesus had was the drumbeat of purpose. And this we see in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came." John 6, 38, Jesus says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus' motivation was to know his Father's will and then to do it. That was his purpose, to know the Father's will and to do it. Okay? His whole life was filled with purpose. It involved hardship. It involved sacrifice. But his mission was, was to announce the kingdom of God and to do everything that brought us into his kingdom. So there's a whole town waiting outside of Peter's door for Jesus to come and continue the work of healing that he had done the night before. I can imagine Peter's mom being all worked up. Okay, there's so many people outside of our door. What's going to happen? They're trampling the lawn. They're doing all of those things. And Peter's like, Jesus, come do something for all these people. They're waiting for you. Expectations are high, right? But Jesus says, no. His purpose was to do the will of the Father, to preach to the people. That was why he came. And his purpose drove where he spent his time. Jesus was not driven by the expectations of others. Everybody had an agenda for Jesus. His parents had, his mom had an agenda for him. His family wanted him to slow down. The crowds wanted to make him king. The zealots wanted him to lead a revolution. The Pharisees wanted him to shut up. The sick wanted him to be healed. But despite all of these pressures, Jesus did not let their, their demands de- uh, Uh, decide what he was going to do or control his time. He was not put off by criticism. He was not put off by expectations. You and I face all kinds of demands in our lives. Children, family, managers, church, society. And we need to remember who we are serving. This is the drumbeat of perspective. Colossians 3, 24 reminds us that it's the Lord Jesus Christ we are serving. While this serving will ultimately lead us to serve others in his name, Jesus is the one who dictates the terms. So how does that look like in your schedule? What if your schedule was dictated by the purposes of God in your life? Would you have a clear strategy as to how you're going to disciple your children? Uh, Would you have a clear strategy for how you were going to be a witness to the people whom God has put you over? Jesus established priorities. His prime concern was the preaching of the gospel, which took precedence over all other things. Good things take priority over what is best. Satan, his primary tactic is to distort our priority. Jesus learned to say yes to the things that were the Father's priority. And as we look at Mark 1, his yes came out of his prayer life. His solitude clarified the yes and defined the no. Maybe the reason we have a hard time saying no is because we aren't still enough to hear God's yes in our lives. So, what is the task of perspective, of uh, purpose? The task is to hear the Father's voice, to prioritize in this season of life who needs to be loved, who needs to be discipled, who needs to be brought into the kingdom. And put your energies and effort there. Uh, for me, as a, when I was a young mom, my priority was to disciple my children so that they got to know Jesus and they got to learn what it meant to live as a disciple of Jesus. As I grew older, my priorities then became that I had to mentor these young women that God had brought into my life and w- watch them grow in discipleship as people who God can use. As I grow older and I go into uh, the space of empty nesting, maybe in another year or so, uh, and if I, as I go into the space of maybe being a caregiver for my mother-in-law, my task is to set an example of loving, allowing Jesus' light to shine through. I had a mentor called Wynn Couchman, and she passed away a couple years ago. Her husband's dementia and her own physical constraints restricted what she could do. But sitting in that little nursing home room, she never lost sight of her purpose, which was to be a witness for Jesus. Everybody was an opportunity for witness, and she was over the moon excited when she got a Muslim nurse to come and care for her. And she's like, this is my mission field, and it was. She was very clear about her purpose. And she never lost her zeal to disciples. She prayed. She wrote letters. She made herself available to people like me, discipling us, turning us to God, right? She never lost sight of purpose. And when you don't lose sight of purpose, it doesn't matter what you can or cannot do, whether your life is restricted to a nursing home room or whether your life is large, lived out, lived out large, right? Because purpose Doesn't change wherever you are. And the last drumbeat of Jesus' rhythm is the drumbeat of authority. And we see that in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority. To cast out demons. The thing that amazed people about Jesus' life is that he had authority. He had authority. His words had authority. His healing had authority. His, uh, the, uh, his casting out demons, he did all of these things with authority. Andrew Murray, who is one of my uh, favorite authors, says the deepest secret of Jesus' life on earth was his dependence on the Father. That's where his authority came from. As Andrew Murray studied the book of John, he, he says 12 times Jesus uses the word not, N-O-T, or nothing of himself. Not my will, not my words, not my uh, honor, not my glory. I can do nothing of myself. I speak not of myself. I came not of myself. I do nothing for, for myself. The chief mark of the Jesus life is the authority with which he lived. And it was authority because he allowed the power of God to do all in him. This is the power that undergrids the dailiness of our lives. It's counterintuitive. We think that if we need to manage our schedule, we need to work harder. We need to find those moments. We need to do this. But actually, the way Jesus lived is you step back. Less of you, more of him. When we think of authority, we think of it as a word of advancement. For us, as Christians, it's withdrawing. It's withdrawing into God so that he can advance through us. Yesterday night, uh, we attended a concert by this woman called Rita Springer. And she is an amazing songwriter. And she talks about how... She she told us the story about how this one night she was really going through, struggling with something in her life... And Jesus took her into this room, and on the door was this uh, sign saying war room. And she was like, what? And as she walked into the room, she realized that this was the war room of her heart. It was the war room where God fought the battles against those things that came between him and her. And all over the room, she said, as she walked in, she saw these posters with signs uh, claiming the right to bear arms. And Jesus spoke to her and he said, you don't have any right to bear arms. You are making your own weapons. You you carry your own weapons to handle every contingency in your life. He said, "Your, your your ability makes me unable to work. You need to lay down your weapons, the weapons that deal with the fears in your life, those weapons that deal with the uh, crisis in your life, the weapons that deal with everything in your schedule. Lay it all down so that I can work. You think this is impossible? This is what Jesus called us to. Mark 3.13 says that. He called them to do what? To be with him. Because he called them to be with him, in being with him, then they are sent out to preach and given authority. The authority to cast out demons. His strength to destroy the kingdom of darkness. We, as as when we're we're with him, we learn what it means to stand in the name of Jesus. Because we learn what being with Jesus looks like. So the task of this... uh, of authority is depending on God, allowing him to be in charge of our schedule. Uh, Emily Elliott was a woman who lived in the 1700s, And she tells the story of how she was so frazzled. And you think that in the 1700s, they didn't have the pressures that we have in our lives. But if you read her story, she talks about this day that she was just, she had to uh, set up the Sunday school. She had to meet up with the orphanage. She had to uh, cook a meal for, I think they had like six children and she had to cook meal for them. And she had to make sure that all the kids had got their homework done and all of those things. And she starts off her day with this whole list And so she goes off to the pastor and she sees that the pastor is busy with someone. And uh, so she's waiting and she's impatient. And so finally the person leaves and the pastor has his notes before him. And she could see that he's trying to prepare his sermon. But he puts the notes aside and says, Emily, come in. And so she sits and she talks to him about the Sunday school and the things that she's struggling with. And she says, I, I don't know how, how I can do all of these things. How do you do all these things that you do as a pastor? And he says, I have learned to surrender my schedule to God. Every morning, this is what I do. I say, Jesus, these are the things that are on my plate. You allow what you want in my day. And he says, and I just watch, and I just participate. So today, for now, you are what God, Jesus wants ...in my schedule. The sermon preparation can wait. Jesus will speak to me later about that. And so she walks away from there saying... ...who lives like that? How can you live like that? And But then she thought... ...I'll take it up as a challenge. And I'll tell God... ...here God... ...here's my schedule... ...you fill it... ...you give me the power to do what needs to be done. And as she walked through the day... ...she was so surprised... The stuff in the orphanage came together. When she got home, the kids had already started dinner. When she, Every little detail of her life had just been worked out. She just had to wait, surrender, and watch what God was doing in her life. And so that night, her husband reads the story to the kids. And as he's reading to the story, he's talking about the Native Americans, how they hunt, you know, how they, they walk down these trails, and they see a little twig broken or a little plant flattened, and they know that some animal has walked this way. And so that's how they trail and find the, the, the animal to hunt. And he says, all of a sudden, it occurred to me, that's the way God wants me to lead my life. Watching for him, watching that little plant flatten, watching where he's walked, watching who he puts in my path, and just being obedient to what he brings into my day. And so, watch. This is the task of the last thing, to, to watch and attend to what God fills your day with, and then reflect. So how do you manage time the way Jesus did? We live according to the rhythm of Jesus. What forms his drumbeat? Four things. Identity, we are deeply loved. Perspective, we are made for eternity. Purpose, we we are made to bear fruit. And we live our lives prioritizing that purpose. Authority, we don't do things in our own strength, but we do it in God's strength. We have a pastor in our church. We used to have a pastor in our church called Dave Seamuth. And every morning, uh, sorry, every evening before he went to bed, this is what he would do. He said, I would kneel down on the ground and I would say, King Jesus, you are my king. Do with me whatever you want me to do. And it's become my habit. I don't do this every day, but I try to do it as many days as I can. Of waking up in the morning and kneeling before God and saying, King Jesus, you're my king. Help me to live for you today. Fill my life and help me to live for you. And when you live like that, you find that your time becomes his time. And he fills your time with the things that bring him glory and please him. But remember, he loves you and he delights in you already. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and delights in us. Father, I pray for these dear ones as they go into the world and as they look at their schedules and the things that are on their plates for this next week. I pray, Lord, that they would seek you and that they would surrender every moment of their schedule to you. And as they do, they will see you do in their lives the miracles, the powerful things that Jesus did when he walked here on earth. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.